Hi, and welcome to Backyard Pet Talk with Shannon Riley. My name is Emily, and this is another edition of the Positive Puppy Podcast. Hello, everybody, and hello, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me again for your rapid-fire questioning of how to raise Mr. Teddy and to help all the other people out there who are trying to raise puppies and not go crazy and enjoy their puppyhood because I always tell people puppies are like having newborns, but you get to leave them home alone instead of having a babysitter. So they are not easy. And Teddy is now eight months. Is that right? He'll be eight, eight months next week. Yeah. So he's eight months. So now we're in kind of teenage land of puppies. So we've gone through the baby baby stages and now we're kind of hitting into that teenage stage so probably lots of new questions that have to do with teenage puppies so I want to talk specifically about dog parks I had a recent frustrating encounter at a dog park and so let's talk about what does safe play look like what are the green flags what are the red flags so when dogs first greet appropriately, they should kind of do the like little butt sniff. You know, it shouldn't be a face-to-face -face, like interrogation because that can be threatening and scary to dogs. So they should do a little sniff. If it's a small area, like if it's, if it's not a big dog park where there's lots of dogs, you know, you can do greeting on leash even at first and letting them, you know, sniff. If it's a big one, I'm watching for if dogs are really running really fast and intense, or there's one dog that's chasing everybody else and nobody else seems to be chasing that dog. That's a red flag for me because I don't know if those other dogs want to be chased. And that other one is also kind of being a bully. I pers I sometimes watch at this one dog park where I run and it makes my stomach turn, but dogs will jump on the backs of another dog all the time or nip at tails or nip at butts and nobody's interfering fearing and so really that dog that's jumping on their back sometimes it's a bullying behavior and they're nipping you know and the other dog's just running away to get away but then that dog chases and then what's happening is it's encouraging that dog who's getting who's chasing oh if I jump on your back you'll run and that's what I want and so they're actually getting reinforced for doing the bad behavior if my dog is always on the bottom and feels seems like they don't ever get to be on the top of a wrestling match because play should be reciprocal. So if I chase you, you should be able to chase me. If I jump on you, you should be able to jump on me. If I roll on my back, you should roll on your back. Like it should be a very reciprocal play. Sometimes dogs are vocal. So I don't always consider that a red flag if they like bark a lot. A lot of times Aussies and the herding breeds will bark while they're chasing. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they are being aggressive or anything, but sometimes I can be an arousal. So I'm watching that. If they're barking and it almost gets more frustrating and high pitched because they can't catch the other dog or when they catch the other dog, it gets really like snarly. I'll separate that too, because imagine if you're the dog on the bottom of that and you're getting snarled at, that can be kind of scary. If I pull that dog away though, and the dog that was on the bottom comes back playfully wanting to play, then they might not have cared, but I'm really monitoring that situation. Something about dog parks in general that drives me crazy is people take their dogs there and they get on their phones or they start talking to each other and they do not interfere with their dog. And that if I see a bunch of people on their phones or talking in their little coffee groups and their dogs are doing anything, same thing that when my kids were 
at a park. If my kids were at a park, I always was watching them. I had some friends, you know, that had little ones and we would literally talk to each other, but we wouldn't look at each other. We would be sitting next to each other on a bench and we might glance, but the whole time we're talking, we're talking, we're looking at our kids. And I used to, I had three kids and I have a friend with triplets. So literally in my head, silently, we'd be talking. I'd be like, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. And if I went one, two, three, four, five, I'm like, okay, who's missing? Because I was always watching my kids. I would know right away if they were hurt, if they were not getting along, if one was bullying them and we were monitoring them. But then we'd go to the park and there would be a mom who was on her phone, you know, 30 feet away from the playground, me or two, you know, all them talking together. And their kids were bullying my kids. Like we would sometimes just leave the park or we would go do something different, go to a different part of the park. Um, sometimes we'd say something, but most of the time those people are there because they don't want a parent, just like the dog people are there because they don't, they just want their dog to be tired and they don't want to deal with it. And so I want interactive people at the park and there are fewer and fewer of those with phones. It's worse than it ever was. But I want, if I have somebody who another dog's doing something they shouldn't be doing, I want to be able to go. I want that person to say, Hey, I'm sorry, my dog, you know, and, and them interact, you know, that's some of the things to look for and play shouldn't be hundred miles an hour the whole time. Play should be like chase, chase, sniff, sniff, take a break, rest, play, play, sniff, sniff. You know, if it's usually one wants a break and if you see it being a hundred miles an hour, watch to see if you have one that's being the constant pick, 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 chase, 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 where the other one's like, Hey dude, I want a break. And the other one's not getting that signal. That's also a time to stop play and move on. So did you have a specific issue that happened at the park? Yeah. And it, what you just said is exactly right, which is like, I just need to not be at parks or dog parks where it's like a chatty click group because that's what happened. And, exactly. well, and I just think like this one specific incident, you know, Teddy was with me on a leash at a park this woman's dog who was dragging its leash came up to us and snarled at Teddy. And she was like, oh, I'm sorry. He just doesn't like puppies. And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep him away from this dog. And then he went after Teddy a second time from where you and I sit. This is like negligence. This is knowing that your dog shouldn't be in a dog park, but bringing them anyway. And which is just frustrating, but we can't control other people's behavior. And so I like, I just sort of like that green flag, red flag of like, if it's a clicky park and everyone's standing together and not paying attention to their dog, like that's just not the place for us. And that's okay. Yeah. Just keep walking, go do something, other activity, you know, and play with them, do something else, go sniff somewhere else. Because those people sometimes that's their little hour and their dogs, they don't really care what their dogs do or their dogs know each other. And you know, they're not going to monitor them. And so you can't do anything about it. So you just have to keep him safe because you, he's in that period of if a dog did something not nice to him, he could become afraid of dogs. It could be a trauma. And then you'll have to fix yeah. that, which is way harder than prevention. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any recommendations on how to talk to other pet parents in a way that's not like shamey we there we don't go anymore but there we went a handful of times to this one park and the dogs there just play really rough and I kept 
sort of pulling Teddy out of uh-huh. the rough rumble. And one of the parents asked me about it. And I didn't want to be like, well, actually, your dogs are playing a little too rough. Um, so, d- yeah. Do you have any recommendations for Well, that? you could. I mean, I'm, you know, I sometimes say, well, you know, that's too rough of a play for my dog. You know, I don't want him to learn that behavior and I don't want him to play like that with other dogs and that is something that puppies do if they will learn if they play with really rough playing dogs I've seen it in puppy class they're fine one week and then all of a sudden they come back and they're kind of bullying everybody and I'll say did they play with another dog and they'll go oh my cousin was here for the week and they played and they played all day long and it was rough and I'm like yeah, but did your puppy actually want to play all day long? Or was that other, because last week your dog played fine with everybody else. Now this week, he's kind of like almost picking fights. Like what's going on? So it's super important. And it's one of those things like, you know, even as a a human parent, you know, at those parks, I couldn't go up to those women and say, you know, your kids could get kidnapped. Why aren't you watching them? Because they just didn't want to. So we just said, oh, it's time to go, you know, and And then we just, you just don't go during those times or, you know, you bring your kids over. You can do this with kids and say, I want you to play over here, um, not over there. And that's essentially what you have to do with your dog, but you just have to control it. You just don't have to say what you're doing necessarily. So it is, it's really hard and it's gotten, um, I have heard of people adopting dogs at rescues in the shelter and taking them straight to a dog park to see if they get along with other dogs. And, um, or, you know, they've never been socialized ever with a dog and they, you know, two-year-old, you know, somebody told me a two-year-old like Doberman and he was pulling on leash, but she didn't know if he was like doing it to be aggressive or excited, but he had never played with dogs before. And that was how, that's not the proper way to socialize your dog is to just throw them in the, with the sharks, but some people do. And so it's just, you know, teaching them. I think that client said, you know, this might be too much. You might want to start in a smaller, you know, venue than just throwing him in with everybody. But, um, you know, it is, it's a hard thing sometimes, but, and that's why dog parks aren't always safe. They can be a great, but they can be terrible. Yeah. Can you talk us through how to introduce, uh, two new dogs? I've heard, you know, part, part of me wants everyone to be on a leash so that we can pull them apart if something happens, but then somewhere in the back of my brain, there's something about a, you know, a power dynamic when a dog is on the leash that they may act differently than when, when you if you have a well socialized dog you know um, if you know your dog gets along with most dogs we're not talking at all right now about dogs who are introducing to new dogs that are reactive so this is totally separate this is normal dogs who have gotten along with other dogs in the in the past and there's never been an aggression issue they're just now we're trying to introduce, you know, two normal dogs that you're like, oh, so I like to keep them like on leash because if they, if you're off leash, you have no control over them. Um, depending on, you know, if they seem like they're pretty good, letting them kind of sniff and usually they'll want to sniff each other's bottoms and stuff. What I like to do when I'm introducing dogs is I first kind of have some distance at first, like maybe five or 10 feet. And if I'm doing this planned, not somebody who's just ambushing me, but there's like a planned introduction a little bit, I might have my dog sit and I click and treat or just give treats so that they're a little focused on me, not hyper-focused on the dog that they're greeting, kind of like a more gradual greeting. And hopefully the other person is doing kind of the same thing. Then we get a little bit closer and I'm watching body language. So if anytime anybody's tail goes down, ears go back, we're going to go way slower than this. 
and just letting them kind of sniff. If there's a little bit of uncertainty, parallel walking is great, meaning that you go walk um, around a block and you might be on opposite sides of the street or you just have one person walking the street, one person walking the sidewalk. So, um, so that the dogs can kind of get used to each other's energy and their smell and um, especially, and then they can walk around and then they get kind of used to each other and they get a walkout. So there's a little more excitement dispersed because it's not instant in your face. Then you could come back like if you walked around the block, then they meet each other and they can sniff. And if everybody's kind of doing play bow and loosey goosey stuff, sometimes I'll drop a leash at first if they look like they're just going straight into play. And then I'll call them back and I'll take their leash off and they can play. Um, something I do sometimes if I notice one of them gets a little stiff, it could just be insecurity, but I'll try to call my dog back to me and say, hey, come here and give them a second. So they greet, greet for two or three seconds, then pull them apart for, you know, not pull them apart, but redirect them, like come up, come apart with a tree. Cause I don't want to pull them apart because that could cause more intensity if they think they're being attacked. Come here, let's go. And I usually say something like that. I'll say like, if it was Captain, Captain let's go, come on, let's go. And I make a little like chirpy sounds and he's like, what? And we walk away for a couple seconds and then we can come back. And that just helps disperse some of the energy a little bit. And then pretty soon after that, you know, if they're going to want to play or not, you know, by then they're like relaxed enough. They'll probably do full body shakes. If it was a little stressful, might yawn a little bit and then they're ready to play. So, you know, it's just a slow kind of not, if it's too intense in your face, it can be, even if they're not aggressive dogs, it can be just taken like a threat rather than it's like, if somebody comes and you don't know, and gives you a hug and talks in your face, you might push them away because you're like, you're a stranger. Get out of my space. Yeah. What's the top mistake that you see when you're introducing two brand new dogs to one another? Usually it's if people just drop their leash and let their dogs just run up to each other. Like there's no slow introduction. There's no checking in or being on walks or being somewhere. My dog's friendly. And, you know, and they just like let their dog run up to somebody who's on leash. It's that fast, uncontrolled introduction it would be like letting my kid which I don't have kids that did this but if I had a kid who ran up to another kid at the park that they don't know and hugged them and then threw them down in the sand to lay on them even they weren't doing it to be mean but they were just like overly enthusiastic then you know then they it could be scary for the other kid you know if yeah. that too fast you know I mean, probably my least favorite things that people say are, oh, my dog's friendly as they're charging towards you and you've got a dog who might be fearful. And then my other thing is, oh, all dogs love me because, you know, when I'm having the dog that's a little bit scared, it's like, doesn't mean you should just come ambush them, you know, even, and if they are fearful, they might not like you They and not every dog likes every person. So. Scooter hated the most people who said all dogs love me. He yes. hated exactly always hated them would you recommend I know like when we're in class right it's you know we don't let the dogs interact because we're there for school and so do you recommend establishing some boundaries around like when when you're on the leash we're doing a thing and Mm -hmm. it's not the appropriate time you can't just play with interact that's what I like to do when I'm on a walk and I'm I'm like when I'm on a walk with my dog usually I don't want to be socializing with everybody I don't want my dog greeting everybody I want to just be able to go on a walk you know people don't always understand that boundary but you know just like if you and I are on a walk I don't I mean I might have to stop and talk to somebody but most of the time I try to keep moving on I say hi and move on even if it's somebody I know 
because they don't want to sit there for hours to talk to somebody. And I just like, I want my dog to keep moving. So I always like my dogs to know when you're on leash, you know, you're paying attention to me. And then either I give you a release cue, that means you can go play on leash, or I give you, or I take your leash off with a release cue. So that's for sure something that I would definitely do is keep a rule because that's also why we don't let play in class. I mean, puppy class, it's very specific. They come in and they work for a little bit, then they get a recess and then they work for a little bit. The reason my puppy class isn't designed to play first thing, it, I used to have that, but then dogs think that they should, it's just there for play and they don't learn those boundaries of structure. And then that's why in my agility classes, I don't care if the dogs might like each other, but they're not supposed to play in class because they need to learn that this is when they focus and then outside the doors they can play or go to a, you know, have a play date or whatever. Excellent. Awesome. So, so yeah. Shifting gears a little bit, we touched on it earlier, but talk to us about resource guarding. What is it? What are the different ways it can show up? How do you avoid it? How do you fix it? What happens when it's, if it's with kids or other dogs or whatever? So talk, just take us through all of resource guarding. When do you start to see that come up? Well, resource guarding is a huge topic. So only be able to really, I mean, we would take a two hour podcast to really talk about all the ins and outs of it. But since we're focused on puppies and that's what people who are listening, probably most likely are listening. So it's more puppies. So you can see, I've seen resource guarding as soon as like eight weeks when they get them from a breeder or something. Um, sometimes it's because there wasn't a lot of food. Like maybe there were 10 puppies and you know, there was lack of food. Sometimes it's something like that. I see it more in anxious puppies. So puppies that are a little scared at the beginning, but resource guarding is basically, they want to guard whatever something. So it can be a treat. It's most commonly food or food related. It can be their bowl. It could be, but it can be a person. It can be a bed. It could be a toy, you know? So the most common is around food. And one thing talk about in puppy class and it's in the in the videos and it's in the puppy class class. So if somebody was interested in this is working on drop it really, you know, clearly and doing trade. So you're not just stealing things from your dog or leave it. So they get rewarded for leaving things alone rather than you taking things away from them. Cause you can cause the resource guarding by taking things all the time from them. People think that they should take their dog's food bowl away from them while they're eating all the time. And I'm like, well, would you want, you know, me to take, you know, the food away, you know, from you now, you might need to sometimes take food away. Maybe um, like once, sometimes I've forgotten, I've given the wrong dog something, you know, the wrong food. And I might have to say, oh, leave it, drop it. But I'm switching it really fast. It's not like I take it away for good. I take it away and I give it back because I'm switching bowls. Or maybe I forgot to put a medication in. So I have to take the bowl out so I can give them something else, you know, with the food in it. High value treats like bones and rawhides will do it. So sometimes if they like, say a bully stick is like they guard, but they don't grab or anything else. You want to start with some lower value things where you trade with a high value treat, tossing it to them. They are guarding their food bowl. You can walk by and drop high value treats like hot dogs while you pass. So instead of you looking like the person who's going to steal their things, you're the person who's going to give them lots of good things. So you want to do, you know, kind of those things. If it is a person that they're like guarding, then that person needs to be involved and like not let it happen. So sometimes like a person thinks it's cute that their dog growls when people approach them, you know, and it's like, yeah, but that could be a problem. So then the person needs to like get up and walk away. So the dog, you know, can't guard it. Mm -hmm. 
but then the other per the person can the new person can like offer treats and things after they're gone and and make it sometimes we reinforce this in inadvertently you know if they're resourcing like a bed or sometimes you just have to take it away for a little while and then work with something that's a lower value if it's like their crate and you need them to be in their crate but they growl when you pass a crate i've had this before just toss while you pass it you know put hot dogs through the grate so that they see that it's a you know good thing when they come out toss treats so that they run out to treats and then you can always close the gate you know crate before they go back in then when they go in so they make it so the the crate is more like a treat factory rather than you know this place that they can hide but most oftentimes i see there's some anxiety component to it you know it's rarely the happy-go-lucky, easy-going dog that resource guards. It's usually one that has some underlying fear or anxiety. and But that can also look like the hyper-energetic dog can do it too. That doesn't mean they're going to be cowering all the time. It can be the like kind of pushy dog because there can be an anxiety component to that. You know, that's more that fight side of fight, flight, and freeze. So. Excellent. Yeah. So it's, you know, kind of hard. It's more specific. You have to have kind of more specific plans, but a lot of times we create it because um, we do things to cause it. Yeah. I want to, my, my final group of questions is about motivation. So I'm curious, can you take us through the different motivations that dogs have, how to tell which one is working for your dog? You know, food is the most obvious one, but not all dogs are food motivated. So what, what are those other motivation types? You know, every dog has to eat. So when people tell me their food, their dog's not food motivated, there's usually some component of it, of why they're not taking the food. The most obvious is they're using something boring like kibble. Well, if they had kibble all the time and now you're taking them on a walk and the sniffing and the squirrels are way more interesting. Your kibble means nothing. So having finding that high value treat of whatever that might be. It might have to be steak, might have to be turkey bacon, you know? So it, it's the spectrum, kibble's the lowest value. And then like turkey bacon might be, you know, the highest value, anything in between that your dog likes. So I always tell people, if I cleaned your house and you gave me a lemon meringue pie, I would say, thank you. And cause I'm, you know, gracious. And I would take it to my mom and say, here you go. Cause I only, I'll eat one piece, but I don't really want lemon meringue. But if you gave me a really good chocolate pie, I'd say, when would you like me to come clean your house again? Um, you know, because it's something I like and I want. So it's all within the behind, the eyes of the beholder. So with treats, it can be that. Sometimes it's, if a dog's anxious, they won't eat because they're feared. So their digestive system literally shuts down. So there's, because they're in survival mode. So if they're fearful, like that dog I was talking about in the sniff walks, she was fearful. It didn't matter if we had filet mignon, she wasn't going to eat it because she was fearful. So we have to deal with that. So that might be medication. That might be socialization. There's a whole, you can look at the reactive dog program for that. You know, there could be a whole nother situation there. So we have to look at that. The other thing is sometimes people, you know, feed, like if they feed a meal right before training, they're not hungry because they're full. So for me, if I eat a huge dinner, I still might not, I might eat a little bit of my chocolate pie, but not as much because I'm so full. So monitoring that of like, should you feed your dog before training or not? depends on your dog as well. So that's kind of the food situations. Most dogs can be eventually trained with food. It's just figuring out why they're not eating the food. And so that's with that, but you can also use different things. And especially as you get more into transitioning to intermittent reinforcement, where you're not 
constantly reinforcing, you could use toys. Toys are just hard. Like if you throw a tennis ball, you got to wait for them to come back. And so, but it can be useful. Like if I'm working on a sit stay with distraction and my dog really likes the ball, I can work on my sit stay and then they see the ball and they're really excited because they see the ball. And then I can throw the ball, wait for them and then let them release it. So now their reward is going to get the ball, not a treat. But it also is practicing impulse control and it's practicing those things. If my dog likes to tug, maybe, you know, I call them, I do a recall and then I tug with them and then I, you know, get them to, you know, I throw a treat out or something to get them away. So you can use toys if they like it. And I have some dogs, I have one dog that he couldn't quite get straight weave pulls and treats weren't enough and he loved the tennis ball. So we worked on when he did his straight weave pulls fast, once he got his straight weave pulls, I threw the ball for him. The ball was such an almost obsessive compulsive situation that he wanted to weave right and he had to weave fast and right. And because he got excited, he felt right. So play can also be a reward. And then sometimes there's more reward like Captain, if I laugh, he will repeat something. If I smile, he might repeat something. They pay attention to those things. Some dogs like pets, but some dogs, if you pet them, when they're really stimulated, they're like, don't touch me. I want to chase the ball instead. And you can actually, your mo- you think is motivating, but it's actually annoying. It's the same thing verbal. People say, oh, well, I verbally praise them. But if you talk to your dog all day long and you're just like, oh, good boy. And you say, good boy. You know, oh, he laid next to me. Oh, good boy. You know, oh, good girl. Oh, oh, look how cute you are. You know, when you're talking to them. Then they do something spectacular. You know, they do a five minute sit stay and you just say, oh, good boy. They're like, really? I did all that work and I got a good boy out of that. Well, forget that. I'm not going to do that. Or they came, you know, there were birds and you called them and they came right back to you and you just give them a scratch. They're going to say, oh, forget you. Next time I'm just going to chase the birds because that's more motivating. Some people use sniffing as a motivation, you know, like they're on a walk and they're trying to get their dog not to sniff. And then they walk, you know, a block without sniffing and then they say okay release and that's part of the reward so rewards can be a lot of different things and um it just depends on what your dog you know really you know really likes if they like swimming maybe you do you know sit stay sit stay and then you let throw the ball in the water and they come back and then you do down stay you know but their motivations can be so many different things it just depends on the dog. I know one dog who loves ice cubes, you know, so and playing with the ice cube, you know, so, you know, they, they do a sit stay and then they get to play with an ice cube for a little while, you know. That's a good idea. I'll use that with <laughs> Yeah. So there's just, you know, whatever they, if it, and how you know if it's working is really easy. Do they keep trying? Does it keep improving? Do they keep liking it? If your dog starts to turn away, looks, is dismissive, you know, starts to get, lose interest in the training, your motivation isn't the right motivation. I mean, they will tell you if it's the right, you know, motivation or not. So like, if I only scratched my dogs for a recall, they would never, they would be like, you do that all the time. So I use treats for them. Even now they're older and we don't go anywhere where they have to be called back and Captain can't hear me anyway, but I used all those treats or I still would use treats for them. I mean, if we were out in the world and they were off, I would say, come and give them a treat still at 14 and 11, you know, because that's more, if they came to me, they chose me over whatever was outside, 
One one specifically, you know, Teddy sleeps upstairs mm-hmm. and you know, when I'm just running around during the day, he'll follow me upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs, but he knows when I'm going to put him in his kennel. And so then he is reluctant to walk up the stairs and he is so big. Yes. And he just like, doesn't do it. <laughs> so when you, what do you do different when you're running up and down the stairs versus the time that you're going to put him in his crate? I get a Kong for him. So he knows that when you get a Kong, it's time to go in his crate. So there's a couple ways you could do this. You could go put him in his crate and then go back down the stairs and get the Kong and put it in or, you know, so he doesn't see it or hide it. If he's like outside, put it in your pocket, run up the stairs and, you know, do it something. So he doesn't see that cue because right now getting the Kong is the cue that you're going to leave him in his crate. Um, or you give him a Kong more frequently when you go up and down the stairs. So you take him upstairs and then he can have the Kong just in your bedroom or whatever. You could do either of those, but it's the cue of getting the Kong out that he's like, oh, now I'm staying up there and I don't want to stay up there. So, you know, it's just him learning that that's what's going to happen. You know, it's kind of like when you get in the mail, the letter from the government that says you have jury duty, you instantly go oh my God, I'm going to have to like change my schedule. You don't even have it open yet, but you already know that that means it's going to be something you don't want to go do for most people. Some people that are retired and have nothing else to do like jury duty. Those of us who are self-employed go, all I see is loss of income. (laughs) So, you know, it's one of those, um, something that you see. It's just like, if you see a police officer behind you, you know, you instantly, you know, because maybe one time, you know, it's those cues that just happen. And he, that cue is what he knows you're going to be leaving him for. And because this is just who I am, it's okay that I make him go in his kennel while I leave the house. It's okay. <laughs> oh, but for sure it's better for him because he's eight months old. He might destroy the carpet. He might chew. Oh yeah. I mean, he would be just that I mean he's not he's not responsible enough to be left alone yet and he you know every every people ask me that when are they responsible enough to be alone and it totally depends on the dog I mean I have some dogs who are so easy that at four months they can be left in like a bedroom or you know somewhere where they can get to the potty because they're still young and then some have to wait till they're a year I mean some you know, have to go back. I had a little period of time. My dogs were adult dogs, but I was going through my divorce. And I think my stress now looking back was causing them. They would chew up things in my bed. We were in my bedroom when I was gone. So they would, cause sometimes captain would want to get in the kitchen and the, and get in the trash or do things. So I just kept them in the bedroom and they had been fine most of their life. And then they were chewing things up. I mean, Captain got into money. He got into books. They were chewing things up. So I had to put them back in their crates when I wasn't home for a period of time, because now looking back, they were responding to my stress, but now they're back to, they don't, you know, they get to just sleep on the bed all day long, whatever, whenever I'm in and out of the house. So, um, but every dog's different with that, but they definitely need help in that management place to help them succeed and not make mistakes. So I'm not torturing him. No, you know, and it's good. Cause then he sleeps and, you know, he sleeps and, and he likes his, I mean, he's not, chewing at his crate he's not trying to escape the crate he's not barking the whole time and howling you know he goes to sleep once he's in it 
think we've done it. We have perfect puppies, Shannon. (laughs) (laughs) So very good. Well, I hope that this Positive Puppy Podcast helps you guys answer some of your adolescent puppy questions. As Teddy keeps growing, we will keep adding to our podcast collection so that Emily's questions are most likely your questions as well. And so we will make sure that we keep trying to help you. And there's always the positive puppy programs that we have. Check out Truly Force Free. There's good manners. There are webinars about body language. So if that body language stuff we were talking about is brand new to you, you can um, go on to the body language page and check out that webinar. If you've got a dog that's a little fearful, you can watch the reactive dog um, webinar because that kind of will help you prevent them from becoming reactive, you know, and fearful of things. So there's a lot, there's separation anxiety. There's a lot of information actually for free that if this sparked some interest or you resonated with you, with your puppy, you can find out more if you just check out trulyforcefree.com. And thank you, Emily, for being on with us again. And until next time, we'll see you and Teddy. So bye everybody. Thanks for joining us.